Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time, a project of Jofa UK designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. If you'd like to sponsor or dedicate an episode of Your Torah, please get in touch via our website, which can be found at ukjofa.org. Hi, everybody. My name is Jordana Osband, and I'm thrilled to be learning with you on this Jofa UK amazing project to introduce and encourage the learning of Mishnah. My Masachet that I'll be doing with you is Masachet Me'ila. Masachet Me'ila is one of the smaller Masachetot in the Seder or the Book of Kadshim. And I think the study of Me'ila is interesting for two reasons. One is it's a Homa Sachet that is basically the Torah Shaba'al Pedpart or the oral law based on two psukim that we see in the Torah Shabbatav, in the actual written law. And in a few minutes, we'll get to exactly what those psukim are and what exactly the law of Me'ila is. The second reason why I think learning some of these lesser-known masachtot, like masachet mi'ila, is that I think some of what's so fascinating and why I personally have always loved to learn Mishnah is that it really teaches you about the things that the rabbis at the times were concerned with, what halachot they were thinking about, interested in, and discussing amongst each other. Sometimes when I read Mishnah and I learn Mishnah, I think about how different the halachot that they were bothered by and worried about look from what we worry about today. And I think Masechem Ne'ila is an excellent example of a particular halacha that was very, very relevant within the times of the Beit HaMikdash and today may not have as many practical implications. But as I record this on Erev Yom HaAtzma'ut, I'd like to think that hopefully when the temple is rebuilt, that these will become halachot that, again, we will have to think about and that we will have to consider. So what exactly is Masechet Me'ila about? The whole basis of this Masechet is actually found from two psukim in Sefer Vayikra. So if we look in Sefer Vayikra, Perakei, Pasuk Tetvav through Tetzain, so chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. And I'm just going to read these because really the whole basis of this Masechet is based on these two Pesukim. And then we'll do an introduction and then we'll learn an actual Mishnah itself. Vayedaber Hashem El Moshe Lemor, right? So sorry, I actually started with Pasuk Yedalit. So Hashem says to Moshe, Nefesh ki timol ma'al v'chata bishgaga. So what is this? If a person commits timol ma'al is like a treachery or does chata bishgaga a sin unintentionally? Mi Hashem. From against one of Hashem's holies. So what exactly does this mean that somebody commits a treachery or something against a me'ila, against one of Hashem's holies? So the idea of me'ila is basically when somebody misuses or doesn't use correctly property that was what we would call hegdesh or was consecrated for use within the temple itself. And we'll explain a little bit later what that could mean. So if this happens that a person accidentally uses something that was consecrated to use in the Beit HaMikdash, what do they have to do? They have to bring a korban asham to Hashem. 
So what is a korban asham? A korban asham is generally, it's what we call a guilt korban. So it's always going to be an aisle. It's a ram that would be brought. The coin would get to eat part of it. And in general, it's the type of korban that's brought when you're not exactly sure if you actually committed a chait, that you committed a sin. And it has to be in the context of having done something accidentally. So the first thing that a person would have to do in order to rectify having done this sin of kitim o ma'al Hashem is they would have to bring this korban asham. Ayel tamin min hatzon, as I explained just before, it would have to be a pure ayel, a ram. Um, and it would have to have the value of silver shekels, according to the sacred shekel of the asham itself. So that's just giving a specification of the weight in silver of what the value of the aisle actually had to be. The next puzzle goes on to say what? For what he actually took that was holy needs to be paid back. And in addition to the value of what was actually used of this hegdesh that was used in an improper way, an added fifth also needs to be brought. So, for example, if the value was a dollar's worth, the restitution would be a dollar and 20 cents. The puzzle continues, V'natano to la kohen, this amount of money would be given to the kohen, v'ha kohen yechaper alav, and the kohen then provides kapara, atonement, v'ayel ha'asham, with the actual guilt offering that was given, v'nislachlo, and then the person who committed this chait would be forgiven. And this is the basics based on these sukim and vayikra, starting Yud Dalit through Tetzayan, of what the actual halacha is of Me'ila. So before we get to the Mishnah that we're going to learn, I think a couple of things based on these psukim. First of all, it's very clear from the Pasuk, and the Masacha deals with this, that the sin of Me'ila has to take place within the context of it being Bishgaga. This is something that somebody does accidentally. They make a mistake and they use something in a way that they're not supposed to be using it. And if that's the case, then the way to make that better is bringing the korban asham, which is going to be that aisle, paying the value of what it is that they use, and adding the additional fifth to it. This is not the case if they committed this sin b'mezid, if they purposefully use something in the inappropriate way. The other thing to focus a little bit of time on is what does the pasuk mean in pasuk tedvav when it says kadshe Hashem? the holy things of Hashem. The Kahati gives a very, very nice explanation in his introduction to Masach and Me'ilah, where he points out that this could be sort of into three categories. The first one would be korbanot. So these would be things that you would bring on the Mizbeach itself. From the time that you have designated this animal is going to be brought as a korban, until the ritual is completed. And part of what the Masach spends time on is saying, what action has to happen to say, the act of bringing the korban itself is done. If at any point over that process, from the designation period to when the ritual is actually completed, something is not done in the right way, accidentally, of course, this would be one of the issues of mi'ila. The second category would be 
Kudshe Kudshim. So this would be the most holy offerings where the Kohanim are actually allowed to eat some of it. These would be things like a Korban Chatat or a Korban Asham, okay? And here in this category, from the time that the animal is consecrated, in other words, the animal said this animal is going to be brought for this particular korban until the time that the blood is sprinkled. Once the blood is sprinkled, that is when the Kohen is actually allowed to eat the part of the korban that they are allowed to eat. Until that time, that is where the halachot of mi'ila could take place. If after the time that the blood is sprinkled, something were to happen that was accidental, it no longer would fall under the category of mi'ila because once the blood is sprinkled, that is when the kohanim are actually allowed to take their part. And in a way, the consecration, the hegdesh piece of it is already over. The third category would be kachim kalim. Kalim, I know literally would mean ka, like easier, but it really means like a lesser offering. And these were korbanas that were actually eaten by the owner, by the person who actually brought it itself. And although they are not specifically from the Torah, okay, subject to these actual laws, after the blood has been sprinkled, it does apply to the parts that would actually be offered on the Mizbeach itself. And one last part about what Meila actually is. So how much has to be misused. So we would say that that's actually like one pruta. And of course, it's a discussion what a pruta means, but it's not at large value. It would be a very, very small value. And in that case, once a pruta's worth of the hegdesh is misused, then a person would have to bring the korban asham, would have to pay the karen, the principal value of the amount of what they use, and they would have to add the chomesh, the fifth. A term that you will see throughout the Masechet itself is also Loma'al, which means that the sin of Me'ila was not actually committed. So in those cases, a person would not actually have to bring an Asham and also wouldn't have to pay the money that he would have to pay. But sometimes it may be that by a Dirabanan, the Chazal make this to have more broader implications, he would actually have to pay the value of the korban of of whatever was hegdesh, but without bringing the korban and without bringing the additional fifth. So now let's begin and learn the first Mishnah of Masach and Meila. Kadshe Kadshem, so this was the second category that we talked about that the Kahati mentions in its introduction to this Masachat. If the most holy type of offering, Sheshachtan Bidaram, let's say it was shachted in the south. So actually, when you had to do shechita in the Beit HaMikdash, the shechita had to take place in the north. So what this Mishnah is going to be talking about is a case where the Kadshe Kadshim somehow becomes unfit. There's a reason that you can't use it anymore because a process of bringing the korban itself was done incorrectly. And therefore, even if the blood is sprinkled, it still would be subject to the laws of Me'ila. So let's say it was shechted in the south, mo'alin bahem. Even if the blood gets sprinkled, what? Because it was unfit, it wasn't done correctly, it still would be subject to the laws of mi'ila. Shechtan bedarom v'kibel damam b'tzafon. Let's say it was shechted in the south and the blood was collected in the north. Both of those things were supposed to happen in the north. But tzafon v'kibel daman b'tzafon or it was shechted in the north, which is the right way for the shechita to have been done, but the blood was collected in the south, shechtan bayom v'zarak balayla, or 
the shechita took place during the day, but the blood was sprinkled during the night. So this would be incorrect because both of those things should have happened during the day. Let's say the shechita took place at night, but the sprinkling took place during the day. So again, the timing of the shechita was incorrect. Or the shechita was done not at its right time. Or it wasn't done in its right place. So in all of these cases, what do we say? In all of these cases, even though the korban itself becomes unfit, almost it becomes stricter, the laws of sacrilege of Mi'ila are always going to apply for them because what made it an unfit korban doesn't actually exempt it from the laws of Mi'ila itself. Now, the mission is going to tell us an important principle. Klal Amar Rabbi Yehoshua. So the Tana Rabbi Yehoshua comes and Rabbi Yeshua is going to teach us a general principle about the laws of Mi'ila. If there is a korban that at one time had a period of time where the kohanim could have actually eaten that korban, then it's no longer subject to the laws of sacrilege. In other words, what's permitted to the Kohanim, it's no longer in the category of being kadosh to Hashem. It's not one of the kadshe Hashem. The halachot of mi'ila can no longer apply to it. But it goes on and says, But if there was a korban that never got to a point where the Kohanim could actually eat from it, then the laws of sacrilege of Mi'ila always are going to apply to it. So this is a little bit of a funny halacha because what this is basically saying is, is that once a korban becomes unfit, even if the blood is sprinkled, they're no longer going to be subject to the laws of Mi'ila anymore because there may have been a period of time where actually it could have been eaten. So first we talked about a first category where the actual bringing of the korban itself was not done correctly. In that case, even though the korban itself was not ever done correctly, there never was a period where the kohanim actually were allowed to eat it. Therefore, even though the korban is unfit, mo'alin bahan, the halachot of mi'ila always pertain. Now Rabbi Yeshua is talking about a different category. This would be a category where what happens? Where something happens to the korban and it becomes unfit, but if it had never got to the point where the kohanim could actually eat it, then the laws of mi'ila are always going to apply to it. So he will go on and explain. What was a korban which becomes unfit, but at one point what? Actually was permitted to eat. So this would be where shalana, where part of the korban was actually left out, vishanitma, or it was made tame, vishayatsa, or it actually was brought out of the Beit HaMikdash itself. So in those cases, the sprinkling of the blood happened, but something happened and then the korban became unfit for the Kohen to eat it. But because there was a period of time where the Kohen could actually eat it, in that case, then once it became that it was permitted for the Kohanim, then the laws of Mi'ila no longer would apply to that Kadshe Hashem anymore. Okay? However, what's the flip of that principle? What is an example of where a Korban never made it? 
that it was permitted by the Kohanim to actually been eaten. So this would be some of the things that are mentioned at the first half of our Mishnah. It was shechted at the wrong time. It was shechted in the wrong place. Or the way that its blood was collected was not done correctly. But yet the blood was still sprinkled. Because all of those things beforehand, the sprinkling of the blood, were not done correctly, even when the blood was sprinkled, it was actually never permitted to the Kohen. And therefore, this almost becomes a very strict category. The laws of Mi'ila would always apply to it. There would never be a period of time where we would say the laws of Mi'ila would no longer apply to it. Thank you so much for learning with me. And I hope that this was a nice brief introduction to Masech and Mi'ila. And I hope that we will have the opportunity to learn together again. And I just once again want to thank Jofa UK for this wonderful, wonderful project. And I hope that there will be many, many more opportunities for all of us to learn together. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK. In collaboration with women from around the world, who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.